interesting title, The Golden Rule Needs the Golden Gift. Uh, we'll come across the golden rule when we get down to verse 12. But let's begin reading Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, where Jesus still speaking here because it's still the Sermon on the Mount. He still has his disciples gathered around him, and there's still a crowd also, but he's teaching primarily to the disciples. And he says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law of and the prophets. Now, Jesus moves from talking about being a critic, being analytical, uh, kind of being a judge, to talking about prayer. Uh, now, we, we need God's help for verse 12. We need God's help to follow this golden rule. We need help to not idolize money, uh, not to worry, not to be a self-righteous judge, we need God's help to get over our self-superiority complex. And we need prayer to do this. One of the most important aspects of our lives as believers is prayer. I mean, it's, it's, it's the privilege to talk to the Holy Lord God Almighty as a father. That's a gift. Why I'm calling this the golden gift. Because we need this gift to carry out the golden rule. We have been taught to have a continuous attitude of prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says to pray without ceasing. We're taught not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Say, be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth or surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus is describing here how God models the golden rule for us. He is good to us. He doesn't give us a rock when we ask for bread. He doesn't trick us or despise us. So, so this section on prayer needs to be interpreted in light of the golden rule or in light of verse 12. So verses 7, and 7 through 11, <clears throat> we need them for verse 12. All that being said, though, this is one of the most encouraging sections in all of Scripture regarding prayer and God's tender, loving kindness towards us who are his children. So let's go back to verse 7. We'll see that this golden gift of prayer, first of all, is commanded. It says, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. These verses on prayer answer our problems arising 
from all the instructions on verses 1 through 6 that we just got on, on, on judging. Now, the need of, of discerning between, you know, what's holy and, and, and what pearls are and, 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 you know, who are dogs and, and, and who are swine, we need that while avoiding walking around with this beam in our eye. All of that demands wisdom from God. Matthew Henry says to pray. Pray often. Pray with sincerity and seriousness. Pray and pray again. Make conscience of prayer and be constant in it. Make a business of prayer and be earnest in it. Our continual attitude is that we are to be a praying people. We are, we are obligated to pray. We are instructed to pray. We are commanded to pray. The verbs translated here, they're, they're imperative present tense. Now, that means that you are commanded to do an action, and it is an action that is to be done actively and continually. You are not to stop this. You are to ask when there's a need, when there's a want, you are to ask, and you are to ask, and you are to ask. You ask the one who has the ability to supply that need or want. You ask as a beggar is asking for alms. You need relief from the wants and the burdens, and you are asking the one who can give you that relief. You are to seek and continue seeking. When there is a need or a want of something of value, you seek the one who has the ability to provide from their wealth. You seek as if you've lost an item of great value and you refuse to quit looking for it until it's found. That is how you are to pray. And you are to knock. When the way is closed, there's need to get in. There's need for the entrance. It implies persistence. Even though you encounter an obstacle, that obstacle doesn't mean God has said no. He wants persistence, constant persistence. And many of your motives will be discovered or, or revealed to you when the obstacle seems to block your way. So you knock so that somebody on the other side can open the door. And you knock loudly so that you will be admitted in to talk who can fill the need that you're looking for. We could say, literally, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. We must not only ask when commentary says, but knock. We must come to God's door and must ask unrelentingly. Not only pray, but plead and wrestle with God. We must seek diligently. We must continue knocking, must persevere in prayer. And it's a use of means that we must endure to the end in the duty. Jesus seeks to imprint his promises on our mind and memory by these hammer blows of repetition. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask. Seek, knock, and don't quit. That's a gift that God has given you. 
And this golden gift of prayer, it has some benefits. Look at verse 8. It says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now this is an action that will take place in the future sometime upon the subject, the caller, that's you, who are asking or seeking or knocking by the one who is being called upon, the callee, God, all right? Now, this isn't a blank check. Uh, God isn't a magic genie who has dictated you by your prayers. You never get to manipulate God. So just kind of set that out of your head right now. You will not back God into a corner and make him do anything. That would make us God and God our servant. When Jesus says to ask and to seek and to knock, he is saying that we should never, we should never grow tired of asking God because God never grows tired of hearing our prayers. Now let that sink in. He never grows tired of listening to his children talk to him. Now, Jesus is not suggesting the vain repetition. He's already rebuked that in chapter 6. His point is that God never tires of us. God never gets irritated at his kids. I get irritated at my kids. I get irritated at my grandkids. God never gets irritated. He never gets irritated with us. Now, this is also, though, not, of course, a guarantee that any prayer we offered is going to be answered the way we want. Because God only gives good gifts. Which might or might not agree with our idea of what we should have. Of course, it's presumed that we ask right, you know, that is, we ask in faith and we're honest in our motives that we're going to use what we receive to help build his kingdom. But one commentary says conditional grants become absolute upon the performance of the condition. So here, he that asketh receiveth. If God sets a condition and we meet that condition, then it's as good as done. So here are, 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 are the so sure and unbreakable promises of God that, that they do, in effect, if we meet the condition, they're as good as ours. They may be answered in the future, but they're ours now because God is good. And God models the golden rule to us when we pray. He has practiced the golden rule to us. He has shown us by his activity how we're to do this. You know, there is nothing more adapted to motivate us to pray than the guarantee that we're going to be heard, right? I mean, if you know you're going to be heard, what greater motivation is there? To pray. So first, prayer presupposes some, some, some knowledge. God answers according to his will, so we have to learn his will. We have to discern his will. Secondly, when we pray, prayer presupposes faith. I mean, it's one thing to 
to know God's will. It's another to humble ourselves and express that faith in prayer that his will be done, even if it contradicts our will. And thirdly, prayer presupposes desire. We may know God's will, and of course we believe he can perform his will, but, but do we want his will? Do we want his will if his will being done means our will has to be undone? Do we want his will? If we do, then we will pray and ask and seek and knock. If you notice here, is in an ascending scale. Right? Each level becomes a little more aggressive to challenge our perseverance. Are we serious enough with God to see it through? There are benefits if we are. Not only are there benefits and not only is this commanded, but the golden gift of prayer, it has some assurances that go along with it. Look at verse 9 and 10 says, or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will, uh, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? In Luke 11, uh, 12 and 13 is, is not exactly a parallel. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, it mentions a scorpion. Um, so will, will he give him a stone? And, and, and the idea is this round, smooth rock that might look like a loaf of bread or a biscuit that was used then but but that just I mean that'd be mocking wouldn't it dad man I'm hungry you got some bread you know because this rock throws it at the kid sure eat that no God would not do that or if he asked a fish will he give him a serpent I, I mean at first glance it might look like that's the fish but 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 no that would just cause him harm it would bite him no 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 loving parent would try to trick their children into thinking the request had been approved by by something so so deceptive as a rock or a snake no good father would give a young child a sharp knife to run around with or a loaded gun to play with or spoiled food to eat right no father who loves their children would do something like this. Now, there, there, there are loser fathers, but they are, they're the general exception, okay? Even hard dads, even cold dads, will meet the needs of their kids. Even sinful human fathers like us here would never dream of tricking our kids with a live snake for their food. We would do anything for our kids. And yet, even with this strong love that we have, it's not to be compared to the love that God has for his children. God will infinitely outdo us in love and kindness. No matter how much we want to bless our children, God will always bless us more. We have that assurance when we persevere in prayer. As bad as our fallen sinful nature is, the Father in us is not extinguished even because of the sin. So you think then, what, what a heart must God the Father of all fathers have towards his children who are insistent on their prayers. We have the assurance that if a sinful, fallen father will meet the material needs of his children, 
how much more will God do for us? That brings us to verse 11. And this shows us that the, that the golden gift of prayer has a logic to it. Look at verse 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? It says, if ye then, being evil. Now, now Jesus is not speaking to, to specific fathers who would do this, but he's speaking to all fathers. Jesus is making a categorical delineation between the heavenly father who is holy and earthly fathers who are evil or who have a sin nature. If an earthly father with his evil sin nature delights to do right materially for his children, then it makes sense that the righteous heavenly father will much more reward his children spiritually for their persistence. See, his love and tenderness and goodness far outdoes any earthly parent. God is a better father, infinitely better than any earthly parents are, and God will be better to us. The old commentaries used to refer to living in sin is living in a desert dry barren unproductive God will be better to us than the desert of our sin the promises of sin are lies and death the promises of God are true and they're right and our heavenly father would never give us something that's harmful to us, even if we ask urgently and repeatedly. Well, the simple reason is he only gives his kids good gifts. Notice that Jesus here assumes, he even asserts, the inherent sinfulness of, of, of our nature. And at the same time, he does not deny that bad men are capable of doing good things. Jesus admits that. He acknowledges that. So the force of the lesson here lies in the contrast, not the comparison between God and men. One commentary says, For what would he not now give to sons when they ask, when he has already granted this very thing, namely, that he made them sons? If Jesus if, 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 if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, God has, has, has saved us. We're saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith. We've trusted Jesus to save us. We are in Christ now. We are adopted into God's family. We are his children. If he will do that for us, he'll do anything for us that is good. If we belong to Christ, God is our Father. We are his children and praying is just coming and talking to Jesus. Now, we need to distinguish between the gifts of God as, as creator and the gifts of God as father. Ashton, I need you to find a seat there, buddy, somewhere, okay? Now, none of the, none of the creator gifts, those would be like, like rain, uh, life, 
health, children, food, crops, fish, uh, material things that everybody gets, whether they are dependent upon God or, or not, uh, whether they acknowledge God, the Creator, in prayer or not. They're just the blessings. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. God blesses the saved and the lost alike. All right, those are different. Those are Creator gifts. But the answers to, to, to this prayer in, in, in 7 through 11, those are not material things. Those were promised already in chapter 6, verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Those are all, all, all already taken care of. So it's not material things that he's going to answer our prayers with here. He's referring to the spiritual blessings, the daily forgiveness, the deliverance from evil, Peace, increased faith, hope, and love. The fact of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit as the comprehensive blessing. These are the things we're praying for. These are the good things that he's going to give us. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, uh, instead of saying good things like it does here in 711, it says the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't exactly a parallel passage because the time and the, and the wording, the situation is different, except that Luke 11.13 is almost identical to Matthew 7.11, except that instead of good things, Luke adds the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit himself is the bestower of the good things that God is going to give us. See, we, we cannot live out the golden rule. We cannot live out verse 12 without the Holy Spirit continually transforming us into his fruit bearers. We pray for forgiveness and we pray for deliverance because these gifts are given only in answer to prayer and because without them we would be lost and without them we would be incapable of performing verse 12. I want you to look at verse 12. The golden gift of prayer is for the living out of the golden rule. It says in verse 12, Therefore, all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, Christ came to teach us not only what we are to know, not only what we are to believe, but what we are to do. What we are to do not only towards God, but towards people, and not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just those who are, you know, already think like we do and act like we do, they're part of our party and persuasion, but towards everybody in general, with everyone with whom we have to do. The logical flow of the scripture is like this. Don't be, if you start with chapter 7, verse 1, don't be the self-righteous judge with a superiority complex. Don't be a hypocrite who, who, who can't see their own sin, but rather be like God who has loved you like a generous, kind father. And in light of that, you now have the emotional strength and ability to happily perform this golden rule. See, we must not, uh, as much as we like to joke about it, we, we must not do to others the evil that they have done to us. 
neither should we first do the evil that they would do to us if they had the chance. Neither do we evil to them that we think we could handle if they did it to us. No, we are to do to them what we want done to us. That is the golden rule. The golden rule is positive. Right? It's proactive. It's not negative. And this kind of ethic has been around for a long time. Other teachers and rabbis, they said similar things, but they always stated it negative and passive. Confucius. You've heard Confucius say? Yeah, well, Confucius really, really said this. Right? What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. That's negative. That's passive. You don't have to do anything, right? The Stoics, what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. Again, that's, that's negative and it's passive. You can just sit home all day and follow that advice, right? There's, there's even rabbinical traditions that says if you would hate something done to you, do not do it to others. Again, that's negative and it's passive. You can sit at home and not interact with anybody the rest of your life and fulfill that advice, okay? But Jesus comes along and totally turns it around, just like he does so much already in the Sermon on the Mount. He makes it positive and he makes it proactive. Be doing to others what you want others to do to you, all right? You be doing that right now. The negative way is passive. This, you've got to get up and do stuff. You've got to get off the couch. You've got to leave your house. You have to interact with all kinds of people so that you can be doing the good to them that you want done to you. That is the golden rule. Commentary says, guided by justice and mercy, do unto all men as you would have them do to you were the circumstances and theirs reversed. See, in verses 1 through 6, Jesus set up some pretty, pretty hard, harsh judgments that we would make of each other. And Jesus is saying, if the situation was reversed, what judgments would you want others to make regarding you? How do you want to be judged? Well, then you judge others that way. See, we must not judge anyone in a way that we do not wish to be judged. Neither should we deny somebody something that we desire not to be denied of. That's proactive. If we don't want to be denied something, whether it's friendship or acceptance or a need, then we're not to deny anybody else. See, we ask God for good things uh, to help us live for his kingdom, but we treat others poorly. We don't treat them the way we want to be treated. So how can we ask God for good things then? Because our, our relationship to God is always basic to our relationship with other humans. Right? God, God pays very close attention to how we treat other people. 
We must not do to our neighbors the things that we ourselves acknowledge to be bad. We must do to our neighbors the things we acknowledge to be reasonable and right. And we must put other people on the same level with us. And we have to reckon that, 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 that we are as much obliged to them as they are to us. There's a reciprocation here. J.C. Ryle says, this truth settles a hundred different points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules of our conduct in specific cases. See, we don't need a list of a thousand rules or laws, right? We need the one. Just treat everybody the way you want to be treated. That's simple, all right? I don't want to be cut off in traffic. I don't cut people off in traffic. I don't want some dog to poop in my yard. I don't let my dog poop in somebody's yard. I don't want people to steal from me. I don't steal from people. See, it's, it's, it's not complicated. The golden rule summarizes, it says, the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, verse 39, as it says, And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we have to note here that the, that the golden rule only applies to believers, those who know Christ as Savior. And it has to be practiced in every area of our life. The person who practices the golden rule refuses to say or do anything that would harm himself or harm others. If our judging of others is not governed by this principle, then we're going to become proud verses 1 through 6, and critical, and our own spiritual character is going to degenerate into the hypocrisy that Jesus wants us most to avoid. The golden rule, this treating others as we want to be treated, the golden rule cannot be consistently practiced by a not Holy Spirit-filled person. Lost person can do it for a while, but we need supernatural power to do this. And only a righteous person is able to practice this rule and demonstrate the spiritual change that has happened in their life. An individual who's able to live this kind of life obviously <laughs> possesses the righteousness that Jesus demanded over in chapter 5 and verse 20. Now we know that these righteous acts don't save us. But because we have been saved, we do perform them. We are able to love others. See, love is, is, is the law, the new law that Jesus gave. We, we learn what love is by going to 1 Corinthians 13, first part of the chapter. But whatever, whatever love is, we know that selfish criticism is not love. We know that gossip is not love. We know that venting about other people isn't love. 
we know placing ourselves in the place of God and evaluating others' motives is not love. We know that criticizing people because they sin differently than you do is not love. Thanklessness is not love. Practicing the golden rule releases the love of God in us and enables us to help others, even those who want to hurt us. And we can't do this if we do not ask and seek and knock for the very things that will enable us to do this. The golden rule has, has an aspect of, of self-advantage, okay? Um, now, now self-advantage guides us in the decisions we make. You know, we, we don't make decisions that are bad for us. We, we, we don't make decisions that are going to be harmful for us. Well, now we have to let it guide us in our behavior of others. All we have to do is use our imagination a little bit. Put ourselves in the other person's shoes and ask, how would I like to be treated in that situation? That's it. How would I like to be treated in that situation? Now, this does not guarantee that you will be treated that way. But because God has been golden, so to speak, to you as his child, you are to be golden to others. Now, let's see if we can wrap this up. Jesus Christ has been the supreme example of the golden rule. He suffered and he died in our place. He loved us by denying himself. Jesus put our needs before his needs. And the point is this. If God loves us like this, if God loves us to the point of adopting us as his sons, then we should love others the way that we would like to be loved. You realize it costs something to follow Jesus. If following Jesus has not cost you anything, you're doing it wrong. But Randy Alcorn says this, following Jesus is more than nodding a head. It's more than raising a hand. It's more than signing a card. It's more than repeating a prayer, though someone coming to Christ can do any of those things. Following Christ is not returning to life as usual, the only difference being that now we're going to heaven. Following Jesus is abandoning trust in ourselves. It is surrendering all we are and have to him. This and nothing less is following Jesus. You will not be able to live verse 12 if you are not living verses 7 through 11. Remember verse 6. Look over at it. Verse 6 is, give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast ye pearls before swine, uh, lest they trample them under your feet and then turn to you, they tear you up. That's Jim's paraphrased version, all right? We looked at verse 6 last week as the exception, all right? Well, if verse 6 is the exception, then, then verse 12 is the rule. It transforms our actions, it transforms the way we live. It transforms the way we interact with everybody. The good things that we have asked for in verse 7 that come from our Heavenly Father, that he has given us because he is good, he has empowered them. Those good things have empowered our transformation. They have empowered us to treat other people the way we want to be treated. 
if we put ourselves sensitively in the place of the other person and we wish and we work for them the very thing that we would wish for ourselves, then we, we would never be mean. We'd always be generous. Never harsh, but always understanding. Never cruel, but always kind. Because that's how we want to be treated. And that's how God empowers us to treat others. We would be good just like our good heavenly father. Stand with your heads bowed, please. Eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your word this morning once again. We thank you that you never require anything of us that you do not first empower us to do, or that even our obedience is empowered by you. Father, help us to be persistent in our prayers to ask and to seek and to knock and to be diligent and dogged in our pursuit of your will so that father we can we really can treat others right we can live differently we can treat others the way you have treated us Father, this has been called the golden rule for a very long time, and it's almost cliche now. Father, you have made it proactive, and you have made it positive. So help us live, Father, positively, golden. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As Mike's going to come, there's still a few more cards up here afterwards if you would like to take them to uh, pray for one of our young people. Mike. We'll close with hymn number 248.